The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I invite your attention this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning as we are kicking off kind of a seasonal study, but uh, one that I, I pray is challenging as we've taken a break from the book of Mark that we got through 20 verses last week. If you weren't here and you missed the sermon, we covered more verses in one Sunday than we did in like three months. So uh, God put us in the express lane without any stop at the toll, and we did just fine. So, uh, but I invite your attention this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 through 12. And we're going to be taking some time the next several weeks to look at the prophecies as they are written about Jesus. Now, uh, as an aside, there's so many. We don't have time. I'm going to give you nine in the next couple weeks. Uh, and as a matter of record, as you're turning, uh, if all goes well, we'll be having a guest preacher in a couple weeks. Natalie and I will be down to Oklahoma to visit family on the 17th. And uh, uh, But all this month, promises fulfilled how we see the gospel coming forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And if you're, you know, it's that time of year that maybe some of you feel like this picture on the screen. You feel like that odd duck out, you know, kind of feel like this guy. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I kind of envy this story because there was a man named Jim who was leaving church after uh, Christmas services when the pastor greeted him and said, Jim, it's time you join the army of the Lord. He looked, the pastor was very serious about us. Jim, you need to join us and we need to see you every Sunday. And he said, but pastor, I'm already in the army of the Lord. I mean, why? And the pastor, being a pastor, you know, he kind of snooted back. Then why are you here only during Christmas and Easter? And Jim looked at, to the right and to the left, and he quietly leaned into the pastor, and he whispered, pastor, if I told you, I'd have to take your life, you see, because I'm in the secret service of the Lord. Maybe that's how you feel this time of year. But don't you love this time of year? Because sometimes we feel that way. We are so busy, aren't we, with so many Christmas things. We have more parties, more presents, more things to give and to get. And I pray that we remember the simple time of year is that Christmas is the day when God declared, I love you and I've come to show you how much. That's what it's all about. Whether you're here for the first time or the millionth time, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of this. Because Christmas is going to remind us, and our study of these prophecies will remind us that we live in an upside-down world. And the Christmas story is a, is a story of surrender. The Lord of Lords surrendered to a human body, a fallen world, a cruel cross for our redemption. And it's a great reminder, too, as we get ready to look at the Old Testament Romans 15.4 reminds us that everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through the endurance of the Scriptures and through the hope and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. We're going to be looking at some prophecies you're going to look at and say, what in the world does that mean? And why does it apply to me? And that's exactly what we need to understand because the biblical prophecies are everything that we celebrate Without these, we don't have a gospel. Without these, we don't have a Jesus coming as he said he was. Jeremiah 1.12, God said, I am watching over my word to perform it. 
Prophecies don't only come true because God declares them, but because He does them. You are here today because God is faithful to His Word. Isn't that awesome? And you're here tomorrow because God is faithful to His Word. So what are the prophecies that led to Christ's coming? How do we know they're true, and what applications do we have today? Well, our big idea, and if you're unfamiliar with these or it's been a while, our big idea is kind of the, 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 the summary, if you will, of the whole sermon. And it's just simply this, straightforward. Jesus didn't see himself as another prophet or as the last prophet or as the greatest prophet. Jesus saw himself as fulfilling all prophecy. That's a pretty bold claim. You see, his blind hearts, not a blurry Bible. The clearest prophecy in the Bible begins with the word, who has believed our message is what Isaiah said. And God's purposes will be fulfilled whether we see it or not. Just like last week, if you hear the parable of the soils, and Jesus has fulfilled every demand, he's conquered every enemy. So everything we look at, guys, is not hopefully that it's going to come true, or maybe that came true. It's absolutely it came true. And that's where we rest our faith, our life, and our salvation. So nine prophecies. We're not doing all these today. We're doing six of the nine. There's six of the shorter. So here they are. And what I'm going to invite you to do, you have your Bible, you have your smartphone, and some of y'all, or your Kindles. Does anyone still use a Kindle anymore? Okay, uh, the one person up front, thank you, Miss Sonia, the two people that still use Kindles, so 2012 of you, by the way. Uh, we're going to be asking you to flip through the Bible today. You ready for that? We're going to read First Peter 1, 10 through 12, and I want to do that. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to flip with us, those page turnings or those electronic ones to do it. But in honor of God's word this morning, will you join me in standing as we read 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 that frames these cherry-picked nine prophecies, because there's so many as we look at these. Peter, of course, is writing to the scattered exiles around the world. He's writing to them, reminding them of several things. But this passage is going to beeline us as we go through select scriptures about prophecies of Jesus. So 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says this. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring, uh, verse 11 says, what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, that's the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but here it's interesting, but you, plural, y'all, in the things that have been announced to you through the good news preached to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look into. Why should we care about the prophecies of Jesus Christ? Well, one reason he tells us is that because this was written for us. Not those people a long, long time ago, although it was for them. Prophecy is always immediate and future-based. But this is something even angels long to look into. Isn't that amazing? The angels are mystified about why this holy, holy, holy God from the beginning of time would set up things in the way that he did, in the process that he did, in the times and the places and the people that he did. That is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray as we get started this morning. Father, as we come today, 
There's so much that can be said about these. Father, so many things we can say about the prophecies. There are volumes, there are seminary classes that even touch the foothills of the Himalayas, which are the understanding of the prophecies. But Lord, we thank you that these are not just whimsical, mindless utterings of people long, long ago. But Father, by your divine Holy Spirit and the inspiration of your Spirit, as we have the Word today, fully sufficient, we know that what we will study is exactly what was to come to be. And yet, Lord, it wasn't just for then, but it's for now and forevermore until you come home or you, or you take us home or you come, Lord. These are applicable to us. Thank you that your word is not predicated on our faithfulness. Lord, we are unfaithful people. But, Lord, you are the faithful God that when we are faithless, you are faithful. Thank you for that great news. Lord, we pray for wisdom this morning. Keep us focused. Keep us on task. But most of all, may Christ be glorified. That's always our prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So as you go through these, I just want to remind you to never be unamazed about what God is going to do through these prophecies. In 1 Peter, as we saw just briefly, it's a very straightforward passage. Peter reminds them this was a message so glorious that even the angels longed to look into it. These are things that people were looking for, searching for, and all those things. You know, there's, there's always stories you hear about lost treasure uh, out in the mountains somewhere. You know, someone 500 years ago buried treasure, and they find a map. And, 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 and I think there's even one recent guy who said he buried treasure, and he died. And now people are trying to piece together like an Indiana Jones puzzle. Where do you go to find these things? And, and if they found it, would they even tell anybody? I mean, it's kind of like winning the lottery. Don't, I'm not... Don't gamble. That's not good. But if you won the lottery, you know, would you even tell anyone if you could have had a choice in that? But only the Holy Spirit and these prophets could have enabled them to see forward. I mean, can you imagine? I don't have great eyesight, but I can imagine the day when I can barely see things in front of me, how, how hard that is just to reach around and grab. These prophets saw with limited eyes as it were, and they looked forward to things to, that were coming. They did know, they wrote, though, not just for themselves, but for those people, us, that would receive this message. And over these two weeks, I want to look at these nine prophecies, and let's be amazed at their accuracy. Guys, this is not God just throwing darts on a dartboard, hoping to hit the bullseye. The bullseye's already been hit. Jesus said it's finished. But the great news is we have unwavering confidence in the Scripture and unwavering confidence that Jesus is the Lord. We don't have to wait on anybody else. He's it. And I've cherry-picked these, as we said, because we're going to begin, and I, you know, I am not a photographer, Gilbert, our pastor of worship is, but, you know, we're going to be looking at the wide lens angle here with these first six this week. And then we're going to start to narrow in that focus a little bit. Not blurry like your smartphones get when you really focus them in, but like it's going to get crisp. Like it's going to get crisp without being photoshopped. It's that good. That's how we're going to be looking at this. So I'm going to invite you to go back to the, you got your Bibles ready, right? You ready for your Bible drill? Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And, and it'll be up on the screen, but I encourage you, if you would, to, to follow along. You will, you will get more out of this as God allows to go through this with us. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where does this all begin? How do we go through this? The first prophecy about Jesus' coming I want you to see this morning is that he is born of a woman. Well, Darren, that's earth-shattering. What did you do in your study time this week? Well, uh, I, 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 here it is. 
Jesus is born of a woman. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Very familiar verse to many of you. But this is God speaking after Adam and Eve had sinned. And he said, God speaking here, I will put enmity between you, he's speaking to the serpent Satan, you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first mention of the gospel in the whole Bible. After the greatest fall ever, God brings about some 4,000 years before it all happens, this prophecy. What does this mean? Well, if you see that phrase there, enmity between you and the woman, that is referring to Satan. It's a beginning of spiritual warfare. It's a result of sin and the devil's part in tempting the first couple in to sin. And now you see that, that phrase there, and we're just, we're just zooming through these, so hang tight. But it says, between your offspring and her offspring. Who's the your there? The your is Satan. There's going to be a separation between those people who know God and those who don't. So Satan's offspring, there's going to be a separation. And then there's going to be a separation between her seed. Whose seed? Well, it refers to the future descendant who would become the Christ. All those who are in Christ. And isn't that always how it is? If you're a Christian, there is a dividing line in your soul and, and prayerfully your life between everything that happens in the world. And it's a great divide between unbelievers and believers. And then he gives the great thing. Jesus is going to have a stomping out party. He says, he shall bruise who? Who's the he? He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. It's going to be a fatal blow. Boom. TKO. Knocked down as he is. Two things we know, that this coming one, the Messiah, who we know as Jesus, would be a member of the human race. Now, that sounds like, a Darren, what did you do in your study? You know, big bong, duh, that's easy. But it's not an angel. So many people have believed that this coming Jesus would be some angelic being. But no, the scripture is clear here. He would be of the seed of a woman. And secondly, the, ma- the Messiah would be a male. And this is, it would be a son it excludes more than half of the human race if you believe the stats. Women, you outnumber men. And that's, I don't know if that's good or bad, but you outnumber men statistically, as it is. But this is what he says. And it says in Galatians 4.4 that this is fulfilled in the New Testament. It tells us that Jesus was sent forth, for, born of a woman. Luke 2.7 tells us that Jesus gave birth to her firstborn son, implying not that, that, that Mary was a virgin forever, but that Jesus was the first of her children, supernaturally born. The other would be physical, of course. And Hebrews 10 reminds us that God had prepared a body for him. So this one who had come at the very beginning, even at the very beginning, the gospel, and this is where it gets applicable to you guys, the gospel is not God's plan B. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, what was God surprised that Adam and, oh my goodness, Adam and Eve, you just sinned. What am I going to do with myself? What do I do? I'm going to put all this together, you know. It's kind of like when you have extra guests show up at your house who are unexpected and you've got to wrestle something up. That's not how God did the gospel. The gospel has always been God's plan A. And the gospel has started at the very height of the worst, if you could argue this, the worst sin, the original sin that started. But now the question becomes, okay, so this Messiah will be born of a woman. But what part of the world? What nation? Which son of the human race would the Messiah be? Let's look at point number two. I told you we're going to go through these rather quickly. Go to Genesis chapter 12. You got your Bibles? Some of you are like, boom, 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 boom. So go to Genesis chapter 12. And this is, this is Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. 
And Genesis chapter 12, and, and I've got up here a verse that will lead into this. And I, I want to tell you at the end, we will have some application points. I want this just to be a study of the mind. This should, this should stir our souls to praise God for all He's done for us. But some 2,000 years later, after Adam and Eve-ish, this statement was given. And so here it is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, and this is what it says. And this is God, of course, speaking to Abraham, and you know these are familiar words to many of you. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And, and uh, if you'll skip down to verse 7 for sake of time, verse 7 reads, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he's going to be born of a woman, the Messiah is, but he's also going to be born of Abraham, born through the lineage, the seed of Abraham. And this is very interesting because this is exactly how it was to be. You know the story, don't you, about Abraham? He came out of a very pagan culture, the land of Ur of Chaldees. But he tells us that this Abraham is not just some random guy, but there's a process. You ever wonder why God takes his time 2,000 years later? And why didn't he just get it on already? I mean, God, if you're going to send Jesus, just send him. There's a lot to that statement. But I think a lot of it is to remind us that God is not on our timetable. He's on His. And that refers to the second coming as well. It's never about date setting. It's all about Christ and following Him. And this is what it says in John 4.42. It says that He is the Savior of the world. Not that all will be saved, but wherever the world is, anyone is in the world, He is the one and only Savior by which they will be saved. And this, you notice in verse 7 that it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham to your offspring. You may have the phrase in there, to your seed. That is singular. He will give this promise. It's not plural. It's not going to go through many people. There's not many messiahs. There's one messiah. And that refers to one seed. Through Abraham, the messiah would come. Okay, but which son of Abraham? There's three sons. There's one, there's, you may know these. There's Ishmael. You know that guy? There's Isaac, and then there's the lesser-known son of Abraham, Midian. So where does the Messiah come from? I mean, where does he come from? Ishmael became the Arabic nation. That's where Muslims trace their lineage to, to Muhammad. Isaac is where Israel came from. We don't know much about Midian, the third son. So Abraham sent this, or God sent this man Abraham to be the seed by which the Christ would come. But where was it? I mean, God, why don't you just do it right now? And friends, that is a great reminder of the patience of God, that you yourself are an example of that. I am an example of that, that God did not give up on us when we wanted to give up, that God, in his patience and immutable character, let us continue on, sometimes in our sin, but brought us back to Christ in his time, in his way, by his methods. So he's born of a woman, Jesus is. He's born of Abraham. And thirdly, if you'll go to Genesis 21, keep flipping. It's good exercise for your fingers more than your smartphone. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 12. Genesis 21, 12. So which one would come through leading up to the coming of Christ? It's through the, the woman, it's through Abraham, and now it's through the son Isaac. 
again, made about 2,000 years before. That wide lens, you remember that wide lens is starting to get a little bit more narrow as we get closer. But Genesis 21 and verse 12 reads this. It says, But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever, says, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's interesting, isn't it? Through the loins of Isaac will now come forth the Messiah. The New Testament confirms this. Hebrews, and I just put this in my notes, Hebrews chapter 11 says this. It says, By faith Abraham, when he had tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promise, yet he was offering his one and only son, the son to whom he had said, Your offspring will come through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone back from the dead, and therefore he received him back figuratively speaking. So friends, how were the Old Testament people saved? I mean, can you imagine the anticipation? God, I waited. I mean, Abraham was like 100 years old, wasn't he? I can't even do three kids at age 33. Can you imagine doing one or two at age 100? It's crazy. God, what are you thinking? We're old. We're decrepit. We're dying here. God, what are you thinking? But God reminds us that it wasn't based upon Abraham. It wasn't based on Isaac. It wasn't based on Sarah. It was based on his promise and his character that would carry it through. How was Abraham saved? How was Isaac saved if they didn't see all these things to come? They were saved the same way, friend, you were saved today. By faith in Jesus Christ. But they didn't have Jesus yet. Oh, what faith that must have been. Not that their faith was strong, but their faith saw so clearly, yet so obscurely, the promises of God. And the things they didn't know, they just said, bless God, He is the one and only Savior. Because I don't know about you, I can't even wait two minutes for a hot pocket to get done in a microwave, let alone 2,000 years more for things to come to be. But God says, it's by a woman, it's through Abraham, it's through the son Isaac, and now we get to another squirrely rascal here, Jacob. Go to Genesis chapter 35 and verse 12. Genesis chapter 35 and verse 12. You know the story of Jacob, don't you? Jacob was the perfect choir boy. He never got in trouble. He was the best friend of everybody. He never lied. He, he was the best person, wasn't he? No, not quite. I think you know better. But what we know is that as we continue to track our way through Genesis, written by Moses in the wilderness, Genesis 35 and verse 12 reminds us of these facts. And I'll read it here. It'll also be on the screen. Genesis 35, verse 12. If you're an underliner, underline these and put, put prophecy. It's good memory. Genesis 35, 12 says, The land, and this is, uh, this is what God said, The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that needs constant reassurance of things. You know, if I send in a check, I'm going to call the person I sent the check, and they're like, have you cashed that check yet? Check the bank statements, all those things. I want to make sure it went through. And that's kind of how God is, is dealing with Jacob, this, this man who, as you know, was holding on to his brother's foot when he came out of the womb. You remember that part of the story? He was a, he was a conniver. He lied. He put on um, uh, basically the skins of a, or the, the hair of an animal so he could be a hairy man when he wasn't. He lied and he ran away. He's just a hot mess, guys. Yet God's going to send the Messiah through him? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. 
God speaking to Jacob affirms the line of the Messiah. The blessing will come not through his brother Esau, but through him. And it's interesting that in in Numbers 24, you don't have to go there, I'll just read it to you, but Numbers 24, the prophet Balaam, the, the false prophet Balaam, said this. It said, I see him now, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob. A scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down the Scythites. This false prophet, Balaam, saw several hundred years later that this, this crazy, rascally guy, Jacob, would indeed be the one through whom the Messiah would come. God, what are you up to? Abraham lied through his teeth to, to, the, to the Pharaoh or the leader of Egypt. Isaac had a lot of problems himself, and Jacob couldn't even get his own story straight sometimes. God, this is your plan? Really? Couldn't you just, again, God, just send Jesus, get it done. God works in mysterious ways in the sense that his ways are not our ways, but it's very clear what happened. Very familiar verses here, but Romans chapter 9 reminds us that not only that, Romans 9, 10 through 13, but not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac, for through her sons had not been born yet or done anything good so that God's purpose of election might stand not from works, but from the one who calls. She said, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. That's a whole other sermon topic, but I will say this. God did not predicate Jacob as the one based on his faithfulness or his goodness. He blessed Jacob because he chose Jacob. Why are you a Christian if you're a Christian here today? Is it because you're better looking than the rest? Probably so. That's not why you're a Christian, though. Is it because you have more money than the rest? You have stronger willpower than the rest? No. As Deuteronomy tells us, why did God choose Israel? He chose them because He loved them. Why did He choose them? He loved them because He loved them. And Jacob was the son of promise through, through which the Messiah would come. And Jacob had 12 sons, and oh boy, they were perfect little kids, weren't they? Not quite. They were not. But which son would it come from? The Messiah will come from a woman, come from Abraham, come through Isaac, come through Jacob, the sons of Abraham, or the son and grandson. But now go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Which of the 12 would the Messiah come through? Which of the 12? I, you know, I, I hope this is great encouragement to you. And in good Bible study, we always look at context, but application has so many things. I hope this is great encouragement to you. That no matter what baggage you have brought in here today, no matter what sins you've brought, that God's grace is greater than that. And God's promise to you is not revoked simply because you sin. I hope you see that. I hope our church can be a place, and I know it is in so many places, where, where we, we have a place that is serious. We, we, it's not a place that we let sin fly, but it's a place where you can be okay to not be okay in the sense that you seek after the Christ who is above all. Does that make sense? And this is what we see because these 12 sons were not golden picture child children. It wasn't every month these guys got in, in line. They, they were quite a, they were a mess. So born of the tribe of Judah is number five. And this is what Genesis 49 and verse 10 says. This is Jacob at the end of his life. He's giving the blessings out to his sons. Uh, he's in Egypt. You may remember the story. Jacob ends up in Egypt because his son Joseph was sold into slavery. And it's a whole story. You'll have to read it. It's a great one as all the scripture is, but he says this, 
Inspired by the Spirit, Jacob says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. All right, Pastor, you're going to have to help me with this. What in the world does that mean? See that word scepter? You may have that word in your Bible. The scepter there is the kingly tribe, the David, the Davidic line, Solomon, etc. Until, as it says, until that shall not depart from between his feet until tribute comes or peace comes. Literally, Shiloh comes. This is a prophetic offering. Jacob, at the end of his life, is saying, look, the, 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 the lineage is going to come from the Messiah, from, from Judah, my son Judah. And Shiloh means one who brings peace, and Christ is the Prince of Peace. And that's a great news. Remember Matthew 2. Let me read it for you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived and said, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in Jerusalem with him. So he got together all the priests and the scribes and asked where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea. They told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So out of Judah, one of the sons of of Jacob, will this one be. And Revelation 5.5, if you're taking notes, reminds us of this fulfillment. It says, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so we, he is able to open the scrolls. It's a great promise. That Jacob, who can be a rascally guy, and his sons, oh my goodness, his sons were a mess, guys. Out of all this, Christ can still come forth. Come forth to rule, come forth to reign, come forth to do all these things. And I, you know, I wrote this in my notes. We have a prowling feline of darkness right now. His name is Satan. But we have a lion of Judah who can swallow him with one bite and has swallowed him once and for all. Death has been defeated. You know, I was out running the other night uh, over on Good Friday or Good Friday, whoo, uh, Black Friday. I got to get those straight. Uh, Black Friday in the in the back hills of, of Liberty, and I kid you not, I I about jumped out of my skin. There was a cat off South Liberty Parkway. Uh, hidden in the grass, and I was running along, listening to scripture, you know, trying to do the good godly pastor thing, do do do, and all of a sudden I hear this meow, and I just jump back, you know, it's four in the morning. I mean, if you hear that in the morning, you're going to jump anyway. But in the back of your mind, you hear that that lion of Judah just comes up and goes, you know, see a cat. Satan has been defeated because of these prophecies. Isn't that awesome? Not my running story, but Jesus. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Trust me, there's much better things than think running for however many hours. So, he's born of a woman, he, the Scripture says. He's born of the promise through Abraham. He has a son, Isaac, it'll be through. A son, Jacob. Which son of Jacob will it be? Which of the twelve will be through Judah? But now, through which family in the tribe of Judah? And we're going to end with this. I told you it's a two-parter. I want to apply these as we go before we take the Lord's Supper this morning. But will you turn over to the book of Isaiah? Chapter 11, that's going to be a stretch for some, just li- almost in the middle of the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah, or uh, excuse me, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, all those books. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. As we'll see, number 6, this person would come 
this Messiah would come through the family of Jesse. The prophecy of Isaiah was 700 years before Christ. The last ones that we've looked at were almost 1,800 years before Christ. So we've gone forward 1,100 years now. And this is what Isaiah 11 and verse 1, it identifies a particular family that the Messiah would come through. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord, just read verse 2, shall, not, uh, shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, what is a shoot? That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? What's a shoot? Some of you all are farm people. You know what these are. They're an outgrowth that appears from a stem. That doesn't make a lot of sense to some of you, but let's move on. The shoot metaphorically displays Jesse's descendant will be the Messiah. Who's Jesse? Well, we have a Jesse here, by the way. He's a pretty cool guy. Get to know him. We have a Jesse. But uh, that's not the Jesse they were talking about. The Jesse, of course, that was mentioned here, and we'll get into this next week, because the last three points really delve in deep. The, 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 the Jesse is the father of who? It's the father of David, isn't he? And this shoot, this stem, this stump of Jesse, Isaiah says, is the family that it will happen with. It's not the Smith family. It's not the Embiri family. It's not the whatever family. It is the family of Jesse. I want you just to stop right there. You know, you would think God, if, if he knew all the sin that would happen in these families, and he did, if he knew all the things that would happen with these families, and he did, that why didn't he just say, you're done, let's try, let's try it out again? You know, that happens in employment. If you don't perform well for your employer, they fire you or let you go, and they bring someone else on. But God never did that. In fact, he goes on to show, he says here that the branch from his roots will bear fruit. The shoot will go strong and become a branch much stronger than a mere shoot. And it, this speaks of the birth and arrival of Jesus in the world. So he's going to be here long enough to develop. That, do you ever think about this? Why didn't Jesus just come as a grown man? Why didn't he just come at age 33, go to the cross and die? But yet God sent forth Jesus to grow in the wisdom and stature of men. And we know that to be very, very true. And Isaiah 4.2 says that there's, he's the branch of the Lord. There's no other branch like him. And this is all, that he is going to be the Messiah. Not only the shoot, he's not only the shoot, but he's the root. Not only does he come from the family of Jesse, but Jesse will emerge out of him. What? Let me say that again. Not only does he emerge from the family of Jesse, not only is he born to a woman, that would be, of course, Mary, but he's also the one who gave by his creative power, being Lord, the second person of the Trinity, that he will emerge out of him. Wow. His humanity is that he's the shoot of Jesse. He's deity. His eternality, his preexistence is that he's the root of Jesse. The uncreated God will come out of his mouth and, and create Jesse from his mother. Christ is a sovereign Lord. He gives life, even physical life. What an amazing God. That our God was born physically, supernaturally as it was, but also is the God. Guys, no other religion claims to know that. And don't buy it. Your discovery channels are going to be lighting up with this false information. You're going to hear about, oh, well, there are these other people who believed in virgin births, this, that, and the other. Guys, it's all hogwash. There is one Messiah. It's Jesus Christ, and he is the only one that can save. Where does this leave us? 
It speaks of his virgin birth. And I just want to close with some things. I told you it's a two-parter. It's a different type of study for us, but I think, I hope it's hopeful to you. Next week, we have to ask the question, what nation will he come from? How will this work? Let me just give you four quick application points, and I promise they'll be quick before we partake of the Lord's Supper. How does this apply to you? I think number one, as you'll see the faith lessons for us on the screen, number one, without the gospel, without the Old Testament, rather, the gospel hangs suspended in the air. Sometimes we get to the Old Testament and we say, man, that's just, well, it's old. Who needs that stuff? But without the Old Testament, the gospel is just hanging out there, just kind of floating around, kind of nowhere to go. The whole Bible is united by the Old Testament promise and New Testament fulfillment. With Christ actually appearing in the fullness of time, the Old Testament is interpreted by Jesus, and that's the amazing thing. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but I cannot tell you one thing and you go tell someone else the next what it is. But Nate and Nathaniel, our intern, has been doing an awesome job on Wednesday nights. It's a good plug. I think you guys have one week left, brother. Is that right? One week left? Come. If you, even if you haven't been there, come. Wednesday nights in this room. And he's done a great job of explaining that, that the Bible has been preserved for us. This is not some random message that was pieced together. This has always been the message. There's not been a plan B. This is it. It goes from Genesis 1 to Revelation. Secondly, I want to encourage you today that if you have trouble with the God of judgment in the Old Testament, you'll have even greater reservations about Jesus. Because the same God who promises fulfillment is the same God who carried out justice as he said he would. Don't be Thomas Jefferson. I've been watching at night. Uh, I love Lewis and Clark. I love, we have signs by our house that say Lewis and Clark Trail. This way. I'm like, hey, let's watch a documentary on Lewis and Clark. Wouldn't that be great? Good way to pass your time and fall asleep and drain your battery while you, you sleep through it. But you know, one thing about Thomas Jefferson, you've mentioned this before, it's been several months, but Thomas Jefferson took a Bible, didn't he? Maybe you know the story. Jefferson didn't like the verses that talked about Jesus being the judge and the, and the one who would throw people into hell and all these things, so he just started clipping out, and it became known as the Jefferson Bible. What did he keep in there? Verses that talked about love and peace and unity, great things. But what it is, and he missed Jefferson president with respect, is that the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New. The same God that held Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jesse and David, as we'll see, is the same God who holds you today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the same sinners. We have the same problem. We have the same need for a Savior. But what the Old Testament reminds us is, is that we are saved the same way, through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. Two more and I'll end. Hope this is encouraging to you with this. But Jesus quoted the Old Testament many times, especially the hard parts, and it didn't faze him one bit. It didn't faze him. He didn't give the slightest hint of doubt to it. And there are some today, guys, especially this time of year, who will pick on assuming Christians and say, well, Jesus didn't believe this or believe that. Jesus affirmed all the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of all prophecy. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill it, Matthew 5. And what we know is, is that as it speaks to our heart, is that the same God who says, this is how it's going to be, is the same God who's going to carry us forever and ever and ever. Guys, we don't need to be afraid of our Bibles. We don't. There are some hard parts in here. Believe you me, there are some hard parts in here. But that doesn't mean we need to be afraid of it. We need to embrace it. We need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We need to, to, to seek after it. Yes, even if you start your Bible reading program, reading through Leviticus. 
Praise the Lord. Getting through First Chronicles and all those names you can't pronounce. Praise the Lord. They all show purpose. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. And finally, don't panic if you don't understand. God's details of His unstoppable, redemptive plan are exactly how they want it to be. You may not be where you want to be where you are right now. And I can imagine those prophets, as they looked forward, did not think it was going to happen, even the way they thought it would happen to some degree, humanly speaking. But friends, how true of it is the same God who carried those prophets through that time reminds us that no matter what you are facing, He is faithfully carrying you. Everywhere you go, to 7-Eleven. Do we have 7-Elevens up here anymore? Quick trip. We do somewhere. Wherever you may step foot today, God is carrying you. Not because you're worthy. He's worthy. Not because you have it all figured out, but because He does. And that's the great thing. Same God who can take 4,000 years of history before Christ to get to Christ and make sure it happens exactly how He thought it would happen can take whatever you're facing right now and turn it into His glory in your life. And for our church Guys, our church history sometimes has been like this. It's been like the roller coasters, which uh, uh, I guess Worlds of Fun's open in the winter. I didn't realize that. There's a plug for Winterland and Worlds of Fun. But our church history, like a lot of our family histories, have gone like this. But God, I can, I can tell you guys that there's been one faithful God through faithful people through all that. And that's the God we serve. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm going to save you for part two next week. You just have to hold on. Your hands hurt yet? They should. You turned a lot of pages today. Uh, and for you Kindle movers, your, your thumbs definitely hurt. Let's pray this morning, guys. Father God, we stop mid-break to remind ourselves that you are the faithful God. That nothing that has happened in the scriptures was not without you doing exactly how you sovereignly, before the foundation of the world, had it come to pass. Father, what great confidence we have to know and to rejoice that Christ is our Savior. Father, what great confidence we have to know that as we pray to you even now, that you are, you are watching over us. There's not any doubt that you're, we're being heard because the same Christ then is the same Christ now. Father, what great confidence we have that whatever we are facing in our lives, that you are carrying us the same way you carry those prophets who, who at times, I'm sure, doubted and they did, who at times sinned and they did and failed and didn't make it all the way it should have been, but you were faithful. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.